As we think about what we're here to do, this morning I want you to think about what is it that Christians should always do and why it is we should always do it. That's what I've titled my lesson this morning. There are two things that Christians should always do. Now, you say the entire New Testament, there are so many commands and and so many uh, promises, and you're saying there's just two? Well, it's probably fair to say there's not just two, but there are two that we should always do, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 13 is verse 16. It's really going to be the text from which we are working from. I know you're hastily turning to Hebrews chapter 13, so while you're there, let me delay by giving you some time by going and giving you some introduction to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews could be really boiled down to one word. The entire book could be boiled down to one word, and it is the word better. The writer of Hebrews, which some say was Paul, but not everyone agrees, so we just say the writer of Hebrews, was writing to Christians who had come out of Judaism, Hebrew Christians. And the writer is making the case that the, 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 the covenant that they had come out of was not a bad one, but the one in Christ is far, what was that word again? Better. Right. And so the writer makes this stunning case, really a, a supreme case built logically and built on sound thinking about the supremacy of God's Son how Jesus is better and greater than Moses, how Jesus is a higher priest than they had ever had, uh, that Jesus was a better sacrifice, it was made on better promises. He even precedes the law by going all the way back to Melchizedek and saying that Jesus was better than him. He says that the earthly temple that you're used to, uh, Jesus has brought us into a far, what is that word again? Better temple. Through his sacrifice. That, that the sacrifice that he made was not like bulls and goats which they had to make all the time. And which really couldn't take away sins. But Jesus brought a better sacrifice in himself. And so then he gives the example of all of the people of faith. And their faith was not in the old law. Their faith was in something better. And then he makes the case in Hebrews 12 that Jesus is the founder, the perfecter. And because of him, we're in a far better kingdom than what they had ever seen or known or that the world would ever know. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 gets to what all preachers get to and what you want all preachers to get to, which is the so what? So what? So what? Why does that matter? How does that affect me? What practical changes are you calling me to make? And so Hebrews chapter 13 is an entire list of practical steps that if they believe that Jesus is the founder of a better covenant based on better promises, on the basis of a better sacrifice that allows us into a far better temple, if you believe that, then... He calls you to these action steps. And so Hebrews chapter 13 is all about action. And verse 16 is where we find ourselves these two things that Christians should always do. If you're, if you're not there, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 16, you are an 
awfully slow page turner. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 16 says this, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have or with such sacrifice, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, the first thing that Christians should always do is that we should always do good. One translation says, do not neglect to do good. Now, that's interesting to me because neglecting to do good for others is pretty easy. Neglecting to do good for ourselves, that's not hard at all. Okay, the, the world understands you don't have to be a Christian to do good, but most of the time people do good for the purpose of benefiting themselves. Okay, they, they, they make a donation, they don't really care about what they're donating to, they just want to get the tax write-off. Okay, they're doing good, but they're really doing good for themselves, not doing good for the, for the essence of doing good. Uh, it's easy to want to do good for yourself just by nature. Uh, our world talks kind of a lot about this and the idea of self-care. We've got to have time for myself. I need to love myself. One famous TV show kind of made popular the idea of treat yourself. Okay? The idea that, that you should just take some time and spoil yourself. All right. It's not hard to do good to yourself. That's, that's the point I made. I'm not saying that, that we all don't need some time to have self-care and all of that. But, but doing good to yourself is not a problem. It's not what the Hebrew writer is talking about. He says, do not neglect to do good to others. It's harder to do good to others because you and I are selfish. A simple example I could give you. If I get up in the morning and I make myself breakfast, that's easy to do, and I can make myself something that I want and that I enjoy that, that is my preference. In that the evening meal, Christy prepares a meal for the entire family, and she's thinking not just about herself, she's thinking about everyone around the table. All right, a very simple illustration to all of us hopefully can relate. There's a difference between doing good to yourself and doing good for other people, with other people in mind, with other people center at the centerpiece of our heart. So, how do we do that? If you and I are selfish by nature, and we are, how do we do good in an unselfish way? Well, to start, we got to start where all goodness starts, and that is with the Lord. Doing good starts with trusting God. Turn to Psalm chapter 37. If you're following along, it's in the Old Testament. And David here is writing in the midst of his life, which has been through some highs and has absolutely experienced some lows. In Psalm chapter 37... In fact, I wrote my bulletin article about this text because I think it so applies in today's world. In Psalm 37, David anchors himself to that which is good. He says, verse 1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. 
Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. To do good in its truest, purest essence starts with trusting in the Lord. You trust in yourself. You say, well, I'm just going to do this because I'm a good person. It's impossible to do good by yourself and not be motivated in some way by selfish motives. But to do good as God does good means starting with Him. Trust in the Lord and do good. We do good because He is good. As Tristan was sharing this morning... uh, the story of uh, Dr. Nickham, his friend and mentor. And I was thinking of the cup and how every week we celebrate, we celebrate in this little symbol here, and we meet at this table, we celebrate what God did. It didn't start with us. It started with Him. So, trusting in the Lord is the first place to start if you truly want to do good. Delight yourself, David goes on to say, in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we, we think, we understand doing good means we must start with, from a God-centered place. That's where only good can begin, uh, where true good can begin. This is the beauty of the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is wrapping things up and he says, uh, verse 12, So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The brilliance of the golden rule is that Jesus starts with our selfishness. He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. You know, I've been in this pandemic for seven whole months and and not a single person has called me. Well, Jesus would say, "Well, well, maybe you ought to pick up a phone and call someone. You know, Toby did a whole lesson on encouragement. I didn't see one single solitary encouraging note for all the good that I've done. Well, maybe you should encourage some others. So, you see, there's, there's this, this brilliance that Jesus brings, knowing our human nature and calling us to do good. It starts, it starts with trusting God as Jesus did. And, of course, we can follow Jesus' example in doing good. If you think of all of the things that Jesus did. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John tell these from four different perspectives what Jesus did and all Jesus taught. And, you know, if I boil the 
two, all the things that Jesus said and all of the things that Jesus did, it's two things. Jesus told the truth and Jesus did good. And He didn't do good from a selfish motive. He didn't do good because it was popular. He did good because He trusted in God. So we follow Jesus' example. And, and Peter uh, tells us of Jesus' example in the book of Acts. He reminds us in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed because God was with him. This is the beautiful thing about the example of Jesus. He saw people who were hungry and he fed them. He saw people who were hurting and he healed them. He knew Judas would betray him and he washed his feet anyway. You couldn't stop Jesus from being good and you couldn't stop Jesus from doing good. It was in His nature. And if we're followers of Him, we should be following in His footsteps. Jesus called His followers to be this, these, this type of people. In Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of the best sermon ever preached, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This this kind of thought occurred to me. I don't know exactly how the future is going to go, if that's one lesson we've learned in 2020. Uh, we all know how to predict the future. Uh, predicting the future accurately is another story entirely. But I think about the role of church and what's going to happen to the church and with people in power, are they going to shut down the church? Well, I, I suppose that's possible as we learned in 2020. Anything's possible But then I go back to Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It can't. It can't be done. It is impossible for people who love Jesus and trust Jesus and follow Jesus to cease being the light. Not because we're good, but because he's good. And so we continue. Do do people light a lamp, put it under a basket? No, they put it on the stand. It gives light to everyone. In the same way, let your light shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. See, there's a purpose in doing good, and it's not just doing good for doing good's sake. And I think that's the temptation on Harvest Sunday or, or with all of the things that we do good continually. We talk about Magi boxes or holiday baskets or, or carpenter place, just any of the stuff that we do, it, it sort of becomes rote. It sort of becomes almost more of a rut. 
and we start doing good out of habit instead of, and we fail to realize the opportunity that we have in doing good. Now, Jesus gave us a clue. If you, if you, if you read it too fast, read it real slow. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Good works have a purpose. And it's this. Good works open the doors to share the good news. Did you hear the story of, uh, that Ben read this morning from the girl and how her life had been impacted by the mission of Carpenter Place? Good works open the door to share good news. Now, in the church, usually we go to one extreme or the other. We have a church that only wants to talk about the good news. Preach and preach and teach and meet and preach and teach and preach. And that's fine, but they don't do anything else. They're all about talking about the good news and there's no good works. You have some churches that are all good works and they're involved in every sort of ministry under the sun, right? It's all good works, good works, good works. It's social gospel. It's just if I get, the church is just a benevolent organization. We're just to be about the purpose of doing good. And we fail to take into account what Jesus called us to be. The church are people who have the good news and who do good works. And our good works give us the opportunity to share the good news. We should link these two together. As we do good works, God gives us the opportunity to share the good news. And we could be a church of only good news... But it doesn't, won't have many opportunities to reach people who don't know it if we aren't doing good works. So we bring our good works and we work together to share the good news. When you're doing good, it gives you the opportunity to share good. I've shared this story before, but uh, it applies here, so I'll share it again. And you all will think, oh, I've never heard that story before. It was a hot summer day. I was out mowing my lawn. As I was mowing my lawn, a young, probably 20-year-old man with a very sharply dressed and uh, wearing a name tag was coming up the block. Now, I was prepared. I knew what this young man was about. I knew the mission that he was on. And I was prepared in my mind to do a little bit of, you know, Bible battle, right? And as I prepared to do Bible battle, this guy threw a move that I didn't see coming. He walked up, he introduced himself, and he said, can I help you mow your lawn? Now in that moment, hot day, pouring sweat, still got two-thirds of a yard left to go, I briefly considered becoming a Mormon. (laughs) That's a joke for those of you who don't have the spiritual gift of humor. But I tell that story to make this point. His good works were opening a door to share what he thought was good news. Now just think about if all of us took such a method. 
If we saw ourselves as the light, as the do-gooders, as the people who, who cannot be hidden, but the light continues to shine, not for our glory, but to point the way to Him. Believe it or not, the New Testament gives a, an example of, of a, a better example than a Mormon offering to mow your lawn. It's in Acts chapter 8. If you want to turn there, if you care to be diligent in your Bible study, Acts chapter 8. Jesus, uh, sorry, Luke tells the story of a young Christian who had a lot of influence. And I'm sorry, I said Luke, uh, Acts chapter 8, I meant Acts chapter 9. I, I did that intentionally just to give you time. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 and following. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. And she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went to them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows, all the widows, all the widows stood beside him, weeping. Why were they so sad? They showed tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. It's interesting that Tabitha had quite a legacy, didn't she? Even after she died. And here in a, here in a room full of women weeping at their loss, they didn't know that Tabitha was on a mission. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when, Peter, and she, saw, and when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Now, this would be a cool story just on its surface if, if Luke had not included verse 42 and 43, but he sure enough did because there's a, there's a reminder for us. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And many Believed in the Lord. I'm sorry, I forgot to bring a handkerchief. I'm going to need some good-hearted soul to bring me a Kleenex. Or, or especially people listening, they're going to get really annoyed with my sniffling. Because this is a powerful story. Here is a woman who is dying dead. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate it. She is... She has given her life, not in a, as a martyr. She simply died, as far as we know, maybe from natural causes. But in her life, she did so much good that there were people at her funeral that knew her that didn't know Jesus. And the disciples are so aware of this woman's impact in the town of Joppa that they call Peter 
Peter, one of the apostles, come, can you come, can you come? Now, what they called Peter to do, did they expect him to raise her? I don't know. The text doesn't say. She was already dead. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. See, God was able to to bring many from an entire town through one good Christian doing good works. I don't know, we don't have any record that, that Tabitha ever preached a word. But she was known for her good works and for her charity. And when Peter had the opportunity to show her, show that whole town where her faith was and where the power was, an entire town came to Jesus because of one woman who did good works. And Peter was able to use her legacy of good works to raise up not just Tabitha, but an entire town and give them the hope of resurrection. Hey, a question for you. Tabitha's a cool story, but what's going to happen at your funeral? Who will be reached at at your funeral? When we wheel you up here in a box or you're up here in an urn and there are people in these pews sitting and thinking about your memory and your good works and your impact, will, will there be people that I or another preacher will preach to about where your hope was? Will those people know Christ possibly through your life and maybe even in your death about the hope of the resurrection? May we not forget that we're to be people of the light. Christ's followers are to be doers of the good. Paul reminded Titus to remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, to do whatever is good. James The gospel with blue jeans on. Faith and works working together. James says this, what good is it? What good is it? What good is it, my brothers, if you have faith but not works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, I'll put you on the prayer tree but does nothing about it, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Now, usually James chapter 2 is where preachers talk about believing and being baptized, believing and repenting, the things that we do in response to the grace given to us. And and that's true, but, but, but... But look at the fuller context. Jesus is saying, what good is your faith if you don't ever put it into practice? What is the purpose of believing in one who is good if you don't do any good? What good is that? See, you and I, according to Ephesians chapter 2, are not only saved from something. We are saved 
for something. We are created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10 says, to do good works. And catch the next part, which God prepared in advance. Some translations say beforehand. Before you were reborn in Christ, God had some good work for you to do. Isn't that cool? Isn't that, isn't that an amazing thought? That God has a purpose for you? But see, sometimes we think of salvation purely from a selfish matter. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to spend eternity separated from God. Good. But there's more to it than that. You see, you're not just saved from something. You're saved for something. God didn't just save you as a measure of good, but he, he saved you to do good in response. So my question is, what good are you doing? Galatians chapter 6, 9, and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And Christians, it's easy to get worn out with doing good. It is. If you're, if you're a person who does a lot of good, if you're what I will call the top 20% at Northside, and that means you send every card, you, you, you call every person, you, you go to every shower, if, you, if, you, if you're part of every ministry, if, you're, if every time there's an announcement made or money needed or, or top people, and you're there and you're raising your hand, I'll be honest, I know those 20% have told me that sometimes they get weary of doing good. Doug's going to talk about Celebrate Recovery next week. There's a group of people who minister weekly to people who wouldn't come to a church building otherwise. And there have been people who've been doing it since day one. And they are worn out. And be good to have some help. Be good to have some other people. And receive the encouragement from Scripture. Do not become weary in doing good. Tabitha didn't wear out until she exited. She did so much good that when she was gone, there was a literal hole. Not a literal. It, there was a symbolic hole in the town of Joppa for all of the good that she did. They missed her. Do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if, this is conditional now, if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We got a lot of examples at Northside. I hate to give examples because I'm not going to get them all and somebody will get mad that I didn't mention theirs. We got Simple House. Every single week as you walk in the building, if you walk in the building, there's a, a, a receptacle for a, a ministry that reaches to the poor and the homeless and the underserved in the Wichita community. And that bin is constantly full. Thank you to those who do that. There's people. There's over a hundred shoeboxes for fifth graders and staff and people at Pleasant Valley Elementary that many of us will never meet. 
And nearly all of them are back at the table this morning. And thank you to those of you who partook in the Magi Box project. And and if you haven't got your box in there, do today. So get that in or or you will face the wrath of Franny. There, there There are hundreds of people that we've served through Wichita Work Camp and the Wichita community for many, many years. Many of you have been a part of that in so many ways. The youth group has been raking leaves like there's no tomorrow. Raking leaves is is kind of a a project you can get weary from doing, I guess, because there's a lot of leaves in Kansas. There's a lot of leaves to be raked. But you're doing good. Scripture calls us to continue to do good. Carpenter Place, we've been partnering with Carpenter Place for as long as I've been a part of Northside. And um, for a long time, it's one of the best Church of Christ works, in my opinion, in the brotherhood for all the good that they do, the impact that they make on people. We do a lot of good, and I suspect it's easy to get worn out from doing good. And Scripture, Scripture gently reminds us, gently encourages us to keep going and to not grow weary of doing good. All right, second thing and quickly, you should always share what you have. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, and not just do good, but to share what you have for with such sacrifices, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The first century church was devoted to God and to each other. Acts chapter 2 gives us this beautiful picture of how there was no need among them. People were selling just for the purpose of sharing, right? And that's a beautiful picture to see because it wasn't forced. It wasn't under the threat of a gun like socialism or communism. It was free will. It was people who loved each other so much they were willing to not only do good, but to share what they had. We're reminded to do this in Titus chapter 3 verse 8. The saying is trustworthy and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are excellent and profitable for people. The the, the irony in, in a pandemic when everybody's, you know, buying up toilet paper at Sam's again, I guess this is uh, paper towels. There there is you may just think this is a roll of paper towels. But, but this right here is something excellent and profitable, contributing to a mission that is excellent and profitable. As you leave today, you're going to see more information about Carpenter Place, and you're going to see ways that you can get involved in excellent and profitable, in, a, in an excellent and profitable mission. All right, so it's the two things. Do good and be willing to share. Do good and be willing to share. Those are the two things that Christians should always do. So now my question is for you. I'm at, I'm at the Hebrews 13 moment, right? The so what? All right, my question for you is this. What good have you done in God's name in 2020? What good have you done? This is for the online audience as well. What good have you done in God's name in 2020? We have many opportunities, arguably more so in 2020 than at any other time. Have we taken those opportunities or have we just 
said, ah, it's 2020. We'll wait until the world gets perfect again to do good. May we always be about doing good and be willing to share what we have. If you haven't done any good, if you're a little bit convicted, you've got great news. We have three great opportunities at Northside. Uh, The first is you can donate to the Preach Project. They'll tell you more about this and the details, but uh, it's benefiting uh, Jonathan Hannigan, one of our missionaries, and a special project going on there, and Craig's going to tell you more about that. Uh, You can bring something for Carpenter Place, okay? Uh, As many of you have done, and to those of you who have done that, thank you, and to those of you who haven't, there's still an opportunity. And, of course, know your Bible. Steve talked about that. You know, there's a lot of people that will never come to a church building And Steve's had this experience as well, but lots of people that I meet at gas stations and grocery stores, and and they say, I watch Know Your Bible faithfully. It's my church. Many opportunities at Northside, those are three. You could donate or give or get involved with all three of those, or just one. But don't be a Northsider and miss the responsibility that all Northsiders have to do good and to be willing to share what you have. We do good, not because we're good, but because of the good that's been done to us through Jesus Christ. He was good, he is good, and he'll always be good. And he's always been willing to share everything he had. And we know that's true. Because of Jesus. And in His power and His grace, we celebrate and rejoice. This morning, if you have not been uh, taken hold of the gift that's been extended to you in Christ Jesus, that opportunity is yours this morning. Uh, if you are here in person, you can go to the back. One of our shepherds will be there to assist you. Just go to one of the doors and our shepherds will be there and they'll help you if you want to put on Christ in baptism or if you have any other spiritual need. And for the rest of us, may we not forget to do good and to be willing and ready to share. If you have a need this morning, uh, you can head to the back as together we sing this song.